0: Mark 14, we're starting at um, verse 1. We're kind of picking up from where um, we left off last week. We've been in a certain part of Mark's gospel. Jesus has been arguing with the religious leaders. He's been arguing with them about the system of their religion. He's been arguing with them about the things they, they teach. He's been telling parables against them. He's prophesied the destruction of the temple, which is the center of their religious system. And now they want to kill him. And so we pick it up there. So Mark 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And so he sought an opportunity to betray him. So as I say, we come to a point now in Mark where the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. He's been telling them that what they're doing is wrong, that their system is going to end. He is starting a new thing. He's starting a new era, his kingdom, which comes in him. And the people who are supposed to understand it, so you've got the disciples and the religious leaders, are completely, like they, they, just, they don't know what's happening. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. They don't, see the significance of the era of God's kingdom that's about to come through Jesus dying and rising from the dead. And Mark tells us, in fact, they're so angry at Jesus, like I say, they want to kill him. And Mark does this thing called sandwiching, which he often uses in verses 1 and 2. He tells us that they want to kill Jesus. And at the end of the chapter, in verses 10 to 11, he again comes back and tells us again about their desire to kill Jesus. And in the middle, you have this story of a woman, a woman who wants to, wants to give to Jesus in the face of them wanting to kill him. So all these people who should know what's going on are missing the significance of what's happening, but she, knowingly or unknowingly, wants to give to Jesus in extravagant worship. And that's a phrase I'm going to use a lot. She comes in this act of worship, breaking this jar of ointment onto Jesus to worship him in the face of those that want to kill him. And I want you to picture the scene to grab the idea of why she wants to anoint Jesus, so we're told that Jesus is in the house of a leper. So a leper was an outcast in that society. A leper was someone you didn't go near. Jesus is in the house of a leper. And then you have, you have this woman who is probably also some sinful woman, some woman of the night, a sort of person that you wouldn't hang around with, you know? And she pours this expensive perfume on Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever passed in the street, you've gone past a woman who's wearing a lot of perfume. Right. It happened to me the other day. I think I was coming from back from Bex's late one night, and, and there were some students, I think mean, they were going out for the night out, and she, this, this girl walked past me, and it was like, just the smell of the perfume, it nearly knocked me down. And about, <laughs> all right. and about, about 10 minutes later... I could still smell it. I'm not joking. She'd gone that way, and I'd gone that way. I could still smell it. <laughs> that, that was a, she had a lot of perfume. And then, but you go into Boots or Debenhams, you know, somewhere like that. Nearly Christmas. All you men buying, all your ladies perfume. I don't know if I will or not. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Um, but you can smell the perfume. You know, it's like it stinks. It's horrible, right? <laughs> Said like a true man. <laughs> Said like a true man, okay. No, but, so you imagine in this house, this woman has broken this perfume, this bottle of perfume, it's stinky, it's, it's expensive, 300 denarii. I think in my footnotes there somewhere, it says that it's like a, a year's wages or something. So she breaks this expensive perfume onto Jesus. And these people there, these religious people and the disciples, they say that she could have, should have sold this perfume and given the money to the poor. So it's not really ironic that Jesus is in the house of these poor people and they're telling the woman she should have given the money to the poor. And you would think that Jesus would say, yeah, you're right, she should have given the money to the poor, it's good to help the poor. But what he actually says is that you will always have the poor with you. And you can help them whenever you like. So, you know, you can help them whenever you want. They'll always be poor people. So, you wouldn't think... You you talk to people and they think Jesus comes to do nice, good deeds for people, don't they? But actually, the the heart of Jesus' message is his death and resurrection. He comes to save people from their sin. So the heart of Jesus' message is not primarily to help the poor and needy with food. It's a good thing to do. And I tell you that as someone, I'm not showing off here, but I tell you that as someone who comes here, and there's other people in this room who do, to the meeting point here on a Monday, and we do work amongst homeless people and things like that. But the heart of Jesus' message is that he's come to save lost people and broken people and sinful people and to die for them and as Mark's heading towards that final act in his book what Keith was saying was stopping Mark for a while and coming back at Easter where Jesus dies but the point of this is that this woman pours out her extravagant worship onto Jesus because of his love for her he hasn't died yet He hasn't risen from the dead yet but in some way she has seen Jesus' love for her not because he's fed her but because he has loved her. He has loved her been merciful to her been kind to her and she responds to him in pouring out her heart in extravagant worship as she spends her money and her most expensive possession on giving back to Jesus because of what he's given to her. And as people hear that you're in that position and you don't know Jesus or or you don't know that he accepts you or you don't know that he is calling you to him, that he loves you and wants to show you his grace and he wants to make you into extravagant worshippers of Jesus by showing you that he has been merciful he's been merciful to you he loves you, he's died for you and you give back to him in extravagant worship that's really it, 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 it's just mind blowing that she would just give to Jesus because she sees she sees what he's done she doesn't respond for any other reason except to his heart for her It's interesting, actually, that women have a role in the story beyond this. That's just an aside. But actually, as we come on to the end of Mark, you'll see the women come to the tomb and all of that while the men are cowering. So, um, but this woman, this woman that was outcast by everybody, but she sees Jesus love her and the religious people criticise her and they look down on her, but she responds to him by extravagantly worshipping and giving of herself to him. So, really, that is the call of God on us. We, we believe, a lot of us at Freedom, that God is moving us into a place in our worship to be extravagant worshippers, to worship him from the depths of our hearts in response to him. But it's easy. This is what I do. This is what I've done recently. I... I went to a a sort of a training college, a a Bible college, if you like, a discipleship thing, a few years back, and the worship there was incredible. The worship there was amazing. We used to there was sort of a mini revival amongst the students, and we used to meet with God. We used to come into the the main room and just praise God, and we used to be on our knees and on our faces, and God would move by His Spirit, and we would extravagantly just pour out ourselves and give ourselves to Him, because He is amazing. And we would look on Jesus and we would worship him. But I've fallen into the trap recently of stepping away from that. That I come to church and worship and I love Jesus and you all love Jesus. If you know him and you're in relationship with him. But we make our worship about what we do. uh, We make it something we do. We make it something we do. Well, of course we worship God because that's what we do. We're Christians. We worship God. We give to Jesus because that's what we do. We're Christians. Christians pray, Christians worship, Christians read their Bibles. And it's not that we don't love Jesus, but it, it, we get lost in the, the, the normality of what worship is for us. It's that thing we do. But I believe that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, And as we recognise again, and this is what I believe God is calling us to individually, and as a church, but the church is made up of individuals, okay? God is calling us again, like this woman, to see Jesus and his mercy to us and his grace to us and pour ourselves out to him in extravagant worship, to give all we can to him in worship. Bex asked me the other day, I was talking about this to her, and I was like, How do I apply this to my life myself? She said, Well, what does, what does extravagant worship look like for you? And I don't know the answer. But I believe this woman poured out the most expensive, precious, costly thing she had to worship Jesus, and he calls us to do the same out of response for his work in our lives. I was thinking about David my I was you know King David? Uh, he, he was a shepherd before he became a king. And he, I'm convinced that he used to spend his time in the fields with God, worshipping, praying, meeting with Jesus, meeting with God in his time that he had, he wrote this sort of inspired hymn book of the Old Testament, the Psalms. And I'm convinced he used to spend his time in the secret place, the quiet place, in the field with God, praying, worshipping, looking at Jesus. And Mel said something before, she brought a word about the clouds when she was walking here. As he sat in the fields worshipping God and writing things down, He was able to look at the environment around him and say, the heavens declare the glory of God. And he's able to look at the Bible, the word of God, and say, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. David was captivated by God and his works and what he'd done in his life. He was captivated by the glory and majesty of Jesus of God, and it captured his heart so much that one day he danced in the street, and some of his clothes fell off. Like <laughs> right, we're going to get extravagant, but that's not what I'm saying. Okay, but he did, right? He He did, he came back with the ark after a victory in battle and he danced in the street and his robe came off and one of the people, one of his wives, I think it was, uh, criticised him for his worship. And yet he was a man that was poured out in worship to God because it was an overflow of what God had done for him. The woman breaking the oil onto Jesus' head was an overflow of what she saw Jesus doing for her, what he had done for her, what he was doing in her life. As we meditate on him, on what he's done, on his creation, on the glory of who he is, God wants us to flow in extravagant worship, but honestly and truthfully, I don't know what that looks like fully for me or for us. This is kind of like, I'm just bringing what I believe God's led me to bring from the passage, but I don't know what that looks like. I can't give you loads of practical tips on how to do it, except that we meditate on who He is, like David on His Word on creation. I love going walking in the forest and at the deli of a day, just looking at the trees and the the, the lakes and, and, and the, the beauty of God's creation and leading that into worship of Him. There's that saying that um, some atheists have. I don't know if you've heard it. It's enough to believe that a garden is beautiful without knowing, without believing, there's a fairy at the end of it. Right? And their argument goes: you can look at the beauty of the world without having to believe there's a God. This is Richard Dawkins and his friends, okay? But what they don't understand is that as we look at creation and glory and how great it is, that is an act of worshiping God. So God, as we look at his creation, as we see who he is in his word, I don't know, these are just ideas flowing out. Like It looks different for every person, but we meditate on him and it leads us into extravagant worship. And the people around criticized the woman. The people around David criticized him for being an extravagant worshipper. And he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. Anyone want to be undignified? That's great. <laughs> Mark, Keith, you want to give a boogie? Yeah. <laughs> no, but he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. And they, um, they criticised him. And the woman was criticised by the people around her. But this is what God said of David first. That he is a man after God's own heart who poured out his worship in response to what God was doing, in response to what he saw of God's works, in response to what he saw of God's power, in response to what he saw of God's truth, in response to who God was. He poured out his heart in worship, and even though it was criticised, God said of David, he is a man after my own heart. I want God to say that I'm a man after his own heart. And the woman The woman who broke the perfume jar, who smashed the perfume jar and wasted a year's worth of wages on worshipping Jesus, who everybody criticised and looked down on, Jesus said that wherever the Gospels preached, she will be remembered as a memory to her. So God's call on our lives is to extravagantly give ourselves in response to his works in us and all the things that he's done to meditate on who he is and to give him glory for who he is. That's God's call on us and the world around us looks down and the church around us thinks we're a bit weird. I don't think we're weird anyway, but especially when we start doing this sort of stuff. But God, Jesus, had nothing but praise for that woman who poured out her heart in worship, who gave everything for him in worship. He praised her. He praised her. He said, basically, she will be remembered. Jesus knew he was going to rise from the dead. He knew his message was going to go out into the nations, we see that he's still expecting that and he says when it does you'll remember this woman because what she did for me was an act of extravagant worship and she was pleased. Because that's what extravagant worship gets from God. His call on us to worship extravagantly gets a well done and it gets a smile from Jesus and we will be he will be pleased with us. He's pleased with us anyway, but it doesn't matter what the world around thinks. It doesn't matter what the church around us thinks. They use stupid terms like happy-clappy and things like that, but, and I hate that term, by the way. If anyone says that to me, please don't say it to me. I hate it. It's, but extravagantly, exuberantly worshipping Jesus gets a smile and a well-done from him. And so that's what we want to be. Honestly, I don't know from here how we do it as a church, as individuals. All I know is that we keep looking at who he is. That is where our worship comes from. Keep responding to what he's done, not losing sight of it. And we get a smile and a well done from Jesus. That's all I want. The smile and a well done. You've extravagantly worshipped me. You've given everything you have for me. And I'm pleased with you. That's his call for us. I want us to stand please. It's so simple. It's so simple. And so short and so easy, and yet, what do we do? Where do we go? I just want to pray. I want you to join me in prayer. Phil's got something to play in a minute. Um, he's going to come and talk about it. But I just really want to say, I really want us to respond today to, to Jesus and ask him how we can extravagantly worship him, how we can be like this woman and pour out everything we have in extravagant worship to him. Our worship is a lifestyle as well. It's not just the songs we sing. We know that, but let's ask the Holy Spirit to come, and I want to, I want to respond. Holy Spirit, please come. We want you to be worshipped in our lives. We want to extravagantly worship you. It sounds so simple, but it's so different for each person. I pray for every person in this room that you will begin a work in their hearts to create in them a heart of extravagant worship. For some, like me, as I spoke about before, it will be looking at creation, the wonders of creation. For others, it will be in what they give. For others, it will be in what they don't do. and It's whatever, I don't know. And it will always be looking at your truth and your word of who you are and meditating on who you are, drawing us to know you better. Jesus, please give us new revelation of what you've done for us and help us to extravagantly pour out our hearts in worship. I pray for every person in this room for a fresh release of your spirit to help us to extravagantly worship you. As we individually grow in that, we know as a corporate body we were moving that to.